0: 2010, about one year ahead of where last year's episode uh, was, is I kind of went through the episodes from December of 2010. Uh, I ended up all the way back to the first one of the month, and I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good one. It's called Building Your Own Long-Term Rations. In this episode, I talk about why you might want to do that. So this is instead of buying a can or a pouch or a bag from like Harmony House or Uh, 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 mountain house, providing pantry, etc. Building and using dehydrated stuff that maybe you source or you make yourself or using different canned meats and setting up your own long-term rations. This could be trail food, or this could be, shit hit the fan, we're living on our preps and we need to be able to cook quickly and efficiently food. Or in some cases, it might be feed your relatives who were not prepared food. All all different types of options there. In some ways, it kind of expands on Monday's uh, show because it is a little bit of a cooking show. Uh, we talk about vacuum sealing rice and beans and storing those separately. We talk about lentils. If you want something like a vegetable Protein source that's quick to cook compared to something like a dried bean we talk about freeze dried foods uh, we talk a little I even talk a little bit in this about textured vegetable protein that would be soy protein and what I said even back then so this is going back what twelve years I said when all else fails I don't even know if I would if I would include it at this point knowing how terrible that shit is for you at this point but i I would eat it before I starved. Uh, And this is really about building good-tasting starvation rations. And it it does kind of set apart where we are today versus where I was when I started this show. I'd like to believe I was always the rational voice in preparedness. And I think if you compare me to other people at any given time in my 15-year history now, I've always been the most rational voice in the world of prepping. Uh, and I don't say that out of some ego or anything I just compare myself to what other people are saying including people that are on the edge of prepping but aren't even really preppers those guys are the most into the hysteria uh, type of stuff but I think I've I've gotten more rational and more uh, pragmatic with preparedness uh, even than I was back then but there is a place for long term quick easy to produce food and easy to cook food easy to prepare food And it's one of those things we haven't talked about a lot recently as we've gotten more into straight-up lifestyle design, which is what the show's always been about. And sometimes I think maybe we have strayed a little bit from the core. And so I thought this would be a good rewind to bring around. And again, it's from 2010, so this is 12 years ago. The audio quality would be much better than it was yesterday. By the time I did this show, I was, at this point, broadcasting from... My home office in Arlington, Texas. So uh, this is behind a condenser mic and what have you. It's still not quite the audio quality that you're hearing right now that you're used to today. Uh, I think by the time we get to tomorrow's episode, we'll be more into that range of things as we continue to progress forward. So with that, let us go back in time. Once again, the Rewind Machine. Uh, I just said something that's not true, though. Tomorrow's episode unless I'm all screwed up because this is a week before you're hearing this, should be the Christmas special. And then when we come back after Christmas weekend, you should start getting the stuff that's a little bit higher audio quality. Anyway, rewinding back, December the 1st, 2010, originally episode 561, building your own long term rations. And while these rewinds are generally non commercial, I still try to remind you if I remember to anyway. You can always help us out by just starting. You're shopping at tspaz.com whenever you're going to shop online. There's a couple days left of Christmas weekend. You still have some time, guys, to go ahead and uh, get those last-minute Christmas gifts. Use tspaz when you do that. And check out Santa Val's TSP Christmas gift list, 14 of the best items out of the TSP catalog, just look below today's show on the survivalpodcast.com and you will find that gift list recommendation. With that, I'll be back tomorrow with the Christmas special. I hope you and yours have a wonderful Christmas vacation. So again, today's show is all about making your own rations. and I mean, I could probably do 20 shows on this subject. I'm going to be real basic today and I'm going to talk about using basic things like dehydrated vegetables, dehydrated beans, canned meats, dried meats, and things like that to do basic soup-level stuff. So what I'm going to actually give you today as part of the show is three bases. I'm going to give you a vegetable soup base, and for you carnivores, don't worry about it. It's designed for meat to go in it. It's just a vegetable soup base that then you can season to taste your own way and add meat, add mushrooms, add textured vegetable, protein, whatever you want to, whatever you have available. Sometimes you have things like... Nice piece of chicken that's left over from uh, last night in the refrigerator if you're making it at home. Maybe out on the trail you have a can of canned beef, small can of canned beef. Uh, maybe you're out on the trail and you pop a squirrel, and instead of just eating barbecued squirrel over the fire, you can make squirrel soup using the, the meat from the squirrel. Or you ate the squirrel last night, Now today day you wake up, drop the squirrel's bones in there, get the last little bits of meat off and the flavoring see, there's all kinds so all the bases are going to be like that. I'm going to do a vegetable soup base, a chili base, and a potato slash chowder base. And uh, that's going to give you a tremendous amount of flexibility. And I'm going to talk about a lot of other things like that. But before we do that, I want to talk about why the hell would we do this in the first place? we got these great companies like Mountain House. Now, I'm going to tell you what to do today so that this stuff can last a year or two in in a bug out bag if you need it to. But you get by Mountain House and it's five years. And really, come on, guys, it's ten years that that stuff lasts if it's properly taken care of. So why would I compromise my longevity? And why would I do all this extra work instead of just going out and buying an off-the-shelf product that's custom-made for what I want to do? Well, for a couple reasons. Uh The big one is I know what goes in them. Now, Mountain House is great stuff. And my Bug Out bag has a bunch of Mountain House pouches in it. Our pantry has some. We certainly have some Mountain House canned, number 10 canned stuff out there. But if you start reading the ingredients... Everything in there isn't the greatest thing in the world. There's certain things that are in there designed to make this stuff last as long as it does. You never hear 100% pure, all-natural, organic mountain house, right? I've never heard that claim. And that's okay, right? I'm not a paranoid. I don't abstain from eating anything that could be construed in any way to not be 100% pure, organic eat that stuff when I can, and then I'm a realist, you know. I try to buy as much grass-fed beef and free-range organic poultry as I can, but occasionally at the store, we buy a great big b- b- package of chicken thighs because they're affordable and we have to eat. But it's all things in moderation. Well, when I make my own rations, I control 100% of what goes in there. And I can make it as pure, as organic, as wildcrafted, crafted as whatever as I want. That's one big reason. Two is I get to utilize my garden's production. Um, since last week, I've been cutting peppers. In fact, I need to go out and check the dehydrator uh, as soon as the show's over, and probably shut it off because right now there is about no, oh, I don't know, a few ounces now, but probably ten pounds of uh, poblano chili peppers dehydrating on my dehydrator. Uh, it's great to put that stuff away for long-term storage, but once you've been gardening a while, you start having like your wife starts going, D- "Dude, what are you gonna do with all this stuff?" Cans and cans of food. I know you're waiting for Armageddon, but, oh my God, are we going to use this stuff? Well, this is a way we can use all of those dehydrated vegetables. I'm also a big fan of dehydrated vegetables from Harmony House. So let's say I give you a recipe today, and it has a whole bunch of dehydrated green and red peppers, and sweet ones and you have plenty of those. And let's say it has a whole bunch of dehydrated green beans, and you have plenty of those. But then I say something like you need dehydrated garlic, or dehydrated carrot, or dehydrated whatever, spinach flakes or whatever, and you don't have to grow that or you don't have a lot of it, you want to make this recipe. Cruise on over to Harmony House. I'll give you a link in today's show notes and pick up the stuff that you need. Um, But big thing is you'll be able to use the garden surplus production. Uh, Next thing is you can easily scale them up and down. Any recipe I give you today, you can scale up if you have 12 people coming over the house and you want to make a great big pot of potato corn shrimp chowder, how about that? Something you've probably never even heard of before, but it's really, really good. You can take the dried ingredients that I'm going to give you, like like the, the, the chowder base has uh, dehydrated uh, butter, butter powder and milk powder in it. Well, if you're at home, you don't necessarily need to do that, but you can scale them up and down any way that you want to, down to a single serving size to go in a backpack up to a large family meal hard to do with Mountain House and hard to have the flexibility to do it with Mountain House. The next one is you can save money. Let's face it, Mountain House stuff is kind of expensive considering that once you really get down to it, most of the single serving stuff, the stuff with the backpacks, is primarily composed of rice and or beans and some textured vegetable protein. I mean that is the bulk of it and I don't know if you've priced even like for quick cooking minute rice lately but a big old box of minute rice is pretty dad gone cheap And beans aren't exactly expensive. Beans, though, to use in the field where you don't have long cooking times, there's some tricks to doing that without carrying big, heavy canned beans around. I'll give those to you in a bit as well. So it also saves us money. And the other thing is one day it might be our only choice. If we really look forward into how bad it can really get. Being able to utilize these long-term storage foods... And be able to continue to continue to produce our own long-term storage foods may be our only option. It may not be one day that you can, you know, send an, send an email basically or an order across the internet to emergency essentials or ready-made resources uh, or or uh, Safe Castle or any of our sponsors or anybody else out there that sells this stuff. One day it just might not be an option. Distribution systems could shut down. That's why we all prep. So it's important that we know how to get by with what we can do on our own now, so if that day ever comes, we can do it with, with with kind of a stride. But I want to get you two down, so I want to start now going into the bases that I came up with. I want to tell you right now, these bases are highly flexible. If you hear something like peas and you go, I don't like peas, leave the peas out. right? You could kind of bump up, let's say I say two-part peas, and you don't like peas. But you like green beans and celery, and I say two-part celery, two-part green beans... We'll bump the celery up to three parts and bump the green beans up to three parts. You're also going to want to, like, kind of be, like, the first time you make this, make a very small batch of it and see what volume you end up with because depending on how large you chop your items, you're going to end up with a smaller end result, which sounds crazy, right? Bigger items, bigger, no. Here's why. If I chop up my celery for the dehydrator, in fact, that's one item I always buy from Harmony House because dehydrating celery is a pain in the butt, and it's for a low return uh, where you can buy a big old tub of it for eight bucks from uh from uh, harmony house, but let's say um, you chop celery very, very fine, and I chop celery larger. your individual pieces when they dehydrate are going to be very small, and my pieces are going to be smaller than they started out, but they're going to be relatively large. A large little object when piled together in a teaspoon or a tablespoon or a little measuring cup of some kind. We'll get less items in there and more empty space. So if you have really fine chopped stuff, which is what most of this recipes were developed with, even the potatoes, little tiny small cubes of potatoes versus maybe big slices of potatoes that are thin, your, your measurements are going to vary a little. So by mixing this up, and when I say one part, using a teaspoon, or a tablespoon and making that recipe and trying it on your stove and seeing, well, how much does this result in when you're going to then make up a little pack to feed one or two people and put it into a backpack, you'll have a better flexibility up and down. Um, but again, highly flexible, but these are three bases. And I will publish the actual recipes for you in a Word document you can link to from the show notes so you don't have to write these down, but give them a listen. Vegetable-based. Two parts carrots, two parts celery, two parts peas, two parts green bean, two parts spinach flakes. Resist the temptation to take them out at first. They add a lot of flavor and nutrition to a vegetable soup. Um, two parts tomato, and that's like diced up dried tomatoes. Two parts sweet pepper. One half part chili pepper, uh, like diced jalapenos that are dehydrated or anchos or whatever, highly optional. In fact, that's a good item to put in a little, si- and there's a lot of stuff here I'm going to tell you. Get some small little mini Ziploc bags, put the stuff in the little mini Ziploc bag, roll that little bag up after it's Ziploc, put it in your big pack bag, and that way it can be optional or it stays out till cooking later. This is one of those items you might want to do that with because a lot of people don't like hot stuff. Two parts mushrooms, also optional, but I really like what they do, and even the non-mushroom consumer, if you break them up fine and cook them into a vegetable soup, a lot of times it adds a lot of body and flavor to a soup, but if anybody else is going to be eating it, you might want to let them try it before you rely on it with the mushrooms in there. Um, Next, one part onion and one part garlic. Garlic and onion, something else I always buy from Harmony House because... Um, I run my dehydrator in my uh, garage, but when I put onion and garlic on the dehydrator, it stinks the place up to high heaven. So it's just easier to keep my garlic and onion that I grow fresh and use that for a lot of my day-to-day cooking and then get the minced garlic and the the onions from Harmony House. And, man, the onions from that place are awesome. Um, But that's the base there. Then for flavor, you have your choice of bouillon. Uh chicken, beef, vegetable, ham, you know, whatever you can find that you want to use based on whatever meat you're going to use with this, and then salt and pepper to taste. The bouillon, anything you want to keep optional, salt and pepper, anything like that needs to go in little Ziploc baggies when you're putting this stuff away so that it doesn't mix in with everything else. So you can either add it to taste or, in some cases, add it toward the end. It, let's Let's look at mushrooms. It depends on what you want out of the mushrooms in this base. If you want the mushrooms to almost substitute for meat, well, we can bump them up from, let's say, two to five parts mushroom. Uh, so instead of two parts mushroom, we do five parts mushroom. We take the mushrooms, and they rehydrate very, very quickly. And if we cook the soup with the mushrooms, uh, long duration, they will cook down, and they will kind of dissipate into the soup and, and become part of the stock. That's okay if that's what we want. If we don't have any meat to put in there, that meaty mushroom, especially something like a shiitake that's been dehydrated, will give you kind of that meat substitute. Uh, what are the other ones, the big ones? portobellos, Dehydrated portobello will do the same kind of a meat substitute thing. But if you want to do that, you put it in at the very end. It's done cooking. It's steaming hot. You take your mushrooms. You put them in there. You cover your container. And you let it steep for maybe 30 to 60 seconds. And then you serve your soup. So, some other things I'm going to give you, also, you want to add at the end for various reasons. Um, But then, with that base, you can do anything from, you know, take a chicken bouillon cube, put it in there, bring a very small can of chicken along with that, put the, the canned chicken right into your vacuum sealer bag with everything else, vacuum seal that packet up. You got chicken soup. You want to extend it even a little bit better, take a small little packet, fill it up with some cut spaghetti, and I mean, I actually, mean real cut, hard, dry spaghetti. Uh, you can find it in your supermarket, right on the shelf next to all the other uh, noodles. And I like cut spaghetti for chicken soup. And you fill up a little, uh, little mini Ziploc bag with that. I'm talking about the little ones, like uh, like you'd probably put jewelry or beads or something in. And you get like a hundred of them for like three bucks. Fill that up with dried spaghetti, Ziploc that, put that in the packet. Now you got chicken noodle soup. But add your noodles right toward the end so they don't overcook and add your canned chicken right at the very end because it's already cooked and it's already come down a long way. You can flip it right around and do something like a small can of beef and a beef bouillon cube. Again, you could use this with uh, fish game that you've t- taken in the wild, but it's a vegetable soup base. Next one, potato corn chowder base. This is one, you've got to try this at home. Because you can do so much with this, and you can take this same recipe and use fresh vegetables with it, and with um, with with uh, ham, it, it, and then add some cheese to it. You know, you get kind of a one animal, or you do something like get a big old can of uh, chopped clams and add that to this, and you've got clam chowder. So here's the corn potato corn chowder base, and again, anything you don't like, you can admit, you can bring something back, or just throw it out all together. One part carrot. One part celery, one part onion, one part leeks, dried leeks for this. They, they're in this mild sweetness to a chowder. If you don't have dried leeks, double the onions. That's, that's the easy thing to do there. Uh, one uh, teaspoon equivalent of powdered butter. If you're making it at home, you need one teaspoon of butter. Uh, and that's your base. Now here's how you want to do the base. Even out on the trail you want to do this. Take your carrot, celery, onion, and leeks, all right, and add water to them so that they'll rehydrate. And those those um, four rehydrate fairly quickly. Ten minutes of soaking in water. If there's any water left and there's any way for you to do it on the trail, reserve that water off because there's tons of flavor in there. Mix up your powdered butter, or if you're at home, drop your teaspoon of butter into a pan. Drop those carrot, celery, onion, and leeks into the pan. Basically, you've made a mirepoix on the trail okay saute them until they're really soft and cooked well in the bottom of your pan with your butter alright that's why the butter is so important to this it also brings a lot of flavor now once you've done that um, now you're going to add your other ingredients your other ingredients are four parts corn eight parts dried potato uh, and the potato with eight parts again this is if they're bigger pieces this is going to change things a lot uh, but little small pieces of potato, about eight parts of potato, one cup of dry milk. So that's not a full cup of dry milk. That's enough dry milk, depending on what type of dry milk you have, to make a cup of milk. And then water uh, added to your, your stock to make up the volume difference from there. Okay, So it's a cup of milk to give a creaminess to it. And then you're going to want a bouillon cube for that recipe, either chicken or vegetable. Beef will ruin this. Pork would ruin this. Uh, chicken or vegetable will add some extra flavor and depth to it. That's it. Once you have the stuff sauteed, you add your water, your powdered milk, your, your corn, and your potatoes. This will have to cook longer. So this is not the quick trail meal, right? This isn't I'm stopping for lunch for t- 30 minutes and I'm heading down the trail. This is I'm, I'm set, I'm for the night. It will take about 20 minutes of cooking. So this is like a campfire, not really your alcohol stove type thing for the corn and the potatoes to get fully tender. If you can't cook that long, you can still do this. You just need more prep time. Your corn and your potatoes will need to sit in lukewarm water, you know, just sitting there for about an hour and then be added to the cook pot. And again, use the water, whenever you dehydrate vegetables, use the water if you're uh, rehydrating them before you're cooking them. That brings so much flavor. But corn and potatoes take a lot longer to come back into uh, a consumable state. Just be aware of that. But there you go. That's the uh, potato corn chatter base. And I'll talk more about what you can do with that in a bit. The chili base. I am proud of the chili base. I have worked on the chili base for a long time. Uh, I realized with the chili base I had to put enough stuff in it to make up for what you couldn't take with you. Because chili, when you make real chili, it's mostly meat. So you can only take so much meat with you into the bush. And you want to reserve your meat as much as you can. So we can't take you know, the equivalent of a pound of hamburger meat to make a small pot of chili out there. So we need something vegetable, matter-wise, to make up the body. And uh, then we can add small bits of meat, cook it through, and get the meat flavor throughout it. So that's what I did with the chili base. Here is the key to the chili base. You know those little reserve packets? You need one for your first two ingredients. You're going to split them in half. Two parts uh, dried garlic and two parts dry onion. Put half of that, one part each, into the base, into your big mix. Put the other two into a little packet all by themselves. You're going to use them at the end. There's a reason, trust me. The next one, two-parts mushrooms. Again, this is optional, but I could even say take it up to four because, again, the mushrooms add a meatiness. The mushrooms are almost imperative for the chili base. Um, The thing is, the longer you cook them, the more they cook down. And if you use something, again, like shiitake versus a dehydrated button mushroom, they tend to have less of that mushroom flavor. They, they just like, oh, there's mushrooms in there just by tasting the sauce. Uh, and they, they leave more of a meaty texture and they're a little bit milder than a typical, uh, like a portobello again or a, or a button mushroom, Pennsylvania Dutch mushroom, any of those things like that. Uh, but I like shiitake's for this. And again, I call them optional. If you pull the mushrooms out, you better really jack up the amount of sweet pepper we'll get, and, uh, and celery we'll get to in a minute. Um, but mushrooms, I would give anybody that likes chili I would get them to try with the mushrooms in it cook it longer and and don't tell them the mushrooms are there and see if it even bothers them. Because uh, I've had my wife eat this and she's like I hate mushrooms doesn't know they're in there yet she will after today. Um, okay so two parts to four parts of mushroom it's up to you. Um, and the mushroom variability is going to be really based on do you have meat? The less meat you have the more rush- mushrooms you want to use. Two parts celery two parts of sweet pepper and what I mean by that is bell pepper. <coughs> I'm sorry, four parts of sweet pepper. Again, the recipe will be online. Four parts of sweet peppers. um, One part jalapeno or other hot chili pepper. Also optional. Three parts of dried tomatoes. One beef bouillon cube and and that uh, the bullion cube needs to go separate from everything in a little bag all your bullion cubes always don't let them get in with the mushroom or the uh the dried vegetables because there's some moisture in the bullion that can be transferred to your vegetables and reduce your storage time so it needs to be sealed in its own little packet then you need a seasoning packet i leave the quantities up to you but the seasoning packet and i use a lot of chili powder for this to bring a lot of flavor to it chili powder paprika cumin and black pepper Alright. Then, in another little separate pack, they can go in the big pack, but you gotta keep them separated, six to eight parts of dehydrated beans. And the only place I know to get these is the company I keep mentioning, Harmony House. Why dehydrated beans? Beans in a can are heavy and bulky. Okay. You can do it if you have no other choice, but they're heavy and bulky. Um, dried beans are cheap, but they take forever to cook. You have to soak them. You have to wait. If you're doing this at home, no problem, but if you're doing this out on the trail, you're trying to put together quick rations, it doesn't work very well. You could use lentils. They only need to cook for 10 minutes, but lentils and chili, come on, it's not really the the right thing. I like to use kidneys or red beans. Both of them I'm able to get from uh, Mountain House. You want to keep them separate, though, because since they're dehydrated, they only need to cook for about a minute to two minutes. So when your chili's almost done, you're going to add the beans to the chili if you're using the dehydrated beans. Otherwise, you're going to cook your beans down to a mush-like state, and they're going to taste good. it's going to go into the chili, okay, and it's going to help with the base, and that's fine. But you're not going to have beans left in your chili. If you don't like beans in chili, and some people don't, well, then you can grind up your eight parts of um, of dehydrated beans and mix them into the chili and bring your protein up with that. And bring your consistency up with that. But there's one other thing I said. Remember the one part of uh, onion and one part garlic we reserved in our little packet. Here's why: when you cook this chili up, odds are it's going to have a little bit more soupiness to it than you want. It's going to be a little bit more liquid than you want because you're going to want You won't want to cook it thick. It's too easy to burn when you're cooking over a you know a little uh, propane stove or a campfire or something like that. You need quite a bit of liquid in there. And you need a lot of liquid in there to move it around and give extra space for your vegetables to rehydrate and all that good stuff. So as you start to cook it down and it starts to get to the consistency you want, you're ready to put your beans in. Um, Then you take that one part garlic and one part onion at the very, very end after your beans are soft and you stir them into the chili. Since they're dehydrated... They are going to pull a lot of the moisture out of the chili into themselves. It's like using flour to thicken. Instead of plain flour that adds no taste, we're adding fresh onions and garlic at the end. And that's going to come through the entire flavor of the chili. Now, what do we use for meat? There's a lot of things we could do. Uh, We can dehydrate some ground beef. Now, this is going to be a few months of storage at the most. But we can take it with us on the trail. The way we dehydrate ground beef, again, the backpackingchef.com is where I learned about this. We saute our meat. We cook it before we dehydrate it. And to each pound of meat, we add a half a cup of red crumbs. And that will cause rehydration. It's more meatball-like than meat-like, but it's a hell of a lot better than, you know, one of your other choices, which is textured vegetable protein. If you're going to use textured vegetable protein for this chili... The best way to do it is get the little bits of it that are like hamburger meat. It needs to go in its own packet, inside the big packet. And it needs to be reserved till the very end. It needs to be in there cooking no longer than one to two minutes. Putting it in right when you put the beans, great idea. If you overcook it, it will ruin everything. If you put it in at the end, it will be okay. And this is probably the best use of textured vegetable protein in this chili base that I can think of for... Uh at least the meat the beef ground beef bits because it's gonna take up so much of that rich chili sauce, the garlic the onion, the chili powder, the cumin it's actually gonna sort of taste like meat where when you, you you try to make like a beef soup uh with textured vegetables we all we're not kidding ourselves, we know what it really is, but that's a good thing to do um The other thing is you can use anything in this. you can bring a little can of of canned beef, chop it up, throw it in there uh that works really great a little can of uh of uh beef. You need like the canned roast beef uh, to do this with. Or chicken. Chicken is awesome in this recipe. It really is. When you're doing it at home, I love this chili base because it opens up so many options. What did we just have? We had Thanksgiving. So what does everybody have in the refrigerator now? Lots of turkey. What do we have more of than anything else with the leftover turkey? Turkey breast. Why? My family likes dark meat on the turkey. So, I take this piece of turkey breast and I cut off about uh I guess I took off about a four ounce, maybe five, five to six ounce chunk of white turkey breast uh the last time I made this recipe and I made up a pot uh about big enough to make five or six bowls of this stuff. I took that turkey breast and I chopped it up pretty fine. Um and then I took it and I stirred that into the chili and I did it early before I added the beans, before I added <clears throat> the extra onions and garlic at the end to thicken it. And I cooked it for a good 10 minutes so it broke down because it was already cooked and got stringy and it went out through the entire chili. So there was little strings of turkey all throughout this chili. Then I threw in my beans and my garlic and onions, thickened it up, and served it like that. Wow. What a great use of the part of the turkey that we're not the most fond of pouring some leftover gravy on. And you start to think about that then. Any form that you can take meat into the bush with you with, you can have that with the chili. Including Mr. Squirrel. If you shoot Mr. Squirrel in the head with a 22, Mr. Squirrel can become Squirrel Chili. So can Mr. Rabbit. Um, so can, you know, a dove or a couple doves. So can things that we normally don't think about eating as game animals. Uh, I would much rather, if I had to, let's say, cook up a couple cotton rats... Um, cook them up after they've been flattened by a rock from a deadfall trap. I'd rather cook them up in this base than eat them off a stick. In fact, I kind of really wonder what chili cotton rat would taste like. And, uh, there's a few bouncing around under the deck still. Not many. I've gotten rid of most of them. I'm thinking about doing that as like a, like Ron would call a cave cooking thing. And, uh, maybe whacking a couple cotton rats and making them up in this chili base and see what they taste like. Um, that would, that would be, uh, quite interesting. You know, as Americans, we're also one-dimensional. We pretty much think with chili, well, it's pork and beef, or it's beef, or it's chicken, if it's, we're being a little eccentric and doing, you know, chicken chili. Um, turkey chili, yeah, we could do that if we were health nuts or something. But the way Jack described it, it really wasn't a health nut thing. It was this leftover juicy piece of turkey breast. But chili is a great flavor. And the only thing absent when you make up this base is, is a, is a protein source. And the beans kinda sorta do that, but they're not a complete protein and don't let anybody tell you they are. Uh, but if you wanted to round out the protein profile, a little bit of brown minute rice uh will actually bring some protein as well and compensate for the beans a little bit and and thicken the, the chili and you can do it with some brown rice. But what about fish? What about that little a pe- couple little brook trouts that you've uh, that you've caught? You know, you fillet them up, you chop the meat up, that very delicate meat cooks very, very quickly add it right at the end. Or what say we bring with us, you know, um or what I'm trying to say we, we would catfish. Any kind of any kind of fish that you take from the wild would be okay in this. So there's a lot of things you can do with it. Um I don't know that I would make clam chili or sardine chili or anything like that. I guess anything's edible but I can think of better uses than that. But you could also do things like uh beef jerky. You know, chop up a couple strips of beef jerky, drop it in there. You want to put that in early, give it some time to get some of the rehydration back going into it. But these three bases give you a tremendous amount of flexibility. So let's do, let's do really talk a little bit about getting meat into the picture and the different things that are available. I kind of mentioned them as we went through, but let's like, you know, hone in on them and, and they're 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 the good, the bad, and the ugly about them. Starting out with hunting, trapping, and let's add fishing to that, gathering wild meat. Um I love doing it. It helps you practice your skills. As long as you're not breaking any laws, go nuts with it. Um, but it's it's not something you really want to depend on. You might put yourself in that situation to really test your skills. Um, you might just eat your chili or your vegetable soup without any meat in it. Uh, if you fail, at least you've got some food and you're going to keep going. Uh, but that protein is an important source. So trapping, fishing, hunting is something that you should see when you're, when you're on the trail, when you're out there practicing your skills, or if you're in a survival situation, is adjunctive. In other words, they add two things. They help you stretch your food supply longer. They add variety. And in some cases, they taste really dad good. But they are not a first choice, because you can't always depend on it. And you might even see Mr. Squirrel, but if you don't have a rifle with you, squirrels are pretty tough little critters to trap. And if you do deadfalls with them, you need a big, heavy deadfall. Squirrels are tougher than you would believe. I've seen squirrels hit heavily with six shot and require a second shot to bring them out of a tree. Uh, They are some of the toughest, uh, amazingly tough. I can tell you I've seen squirrels hit with a 12-gauge with six shot from underneath, so the pellets go into like the belly side, drop stone dead out of the ground, and when you skin them, the pellets never exit the rear hide. As you pull the skin off the back of the squirrel, all the pellets are between the hide and and the back of the squirrel. So they penetrate the body, but the second hide stops them. That's a tough animal. So uh, it's a tough animal when you're using deadfalls on to ensure that you've actually killed it so it doesn't get away. And the same is true with so many other animals out there. So hunting, trapping, fishing, great, but see them as adjunctive. Canned meats, I love them. You always want to use them at the end of your cooking, unless your intention is to amalgamate them as almost a paste throughout the entire uh, uh, item. If that's not what you want, if you want any semblance of pieces of meat in there, remember, if something's been canned, it's been cooked at very, very high temperatures for a fairly long period of time already, and it's very soft. If it's canned meat, that means by its very nature you could pop the can open and eat it cold. So every bit of cooking you do is going to add to what is already, honestly, it's already been overcooked. It's already been cooked longer than you would have cooked it yourself because it's been cooked not at the temperature of boiling water, but at the temperature of steam and for quite a long time and under pressure. So if you put that in there early on, you're going to get meat paste. So your canned meats, make sure you add them toward the end. Okay, dehydrated meats, biltong, and jerky. I'll tell you right now, if you're doing something with beef and you would like to use it in a soup or something like that, uh, you're going to get better results with biltong than you will with jerky. It should be self-evident why. The biltong is thicker. If I was going to put biltong into a recipe, I would put the whole stick of it or two sticks or whatever I was going to take along with it into the packet. Maybe cut the stick just in half one time so it'll fit if it's a long stick. When I cut it up, I'm going to cut it relatively thick for biltong, I'm uh, for slicing already, you know, not thick for making biltong, but thick for slicing biltong after it's been turned into biltong. I'm going to slice it maybe a, a quarter inch thick. That means as it rehydrates, it's going to get even a little bit thicker than that. I'm going to cook my biltong for about the full duration. Uh, same with beef jerky. It's going to need longer in there than a lot of other meats because it's dehydrated. So, if it cooks for 10 or 20 minutes, that's great. It's not going to get completely, it's not going to be like eating a fresh piece of beef. Um, but in some ways, I think it's better. Cooking with Biltong is actually pretty interesting. So, um, that might be something you want to consider. Your ground beef, um, with the breadcrumbs, the way I described it from the backpacking chef, it's, uh, it's, again, it's a little bit meatball like because of the bread that's, that's in there with it, but you need those breadcrumbs. Or what you add up is like little meat shotgun pellets. It just won't rehydrate without them. But it's fully cooked and it does have the bread to help reabsorb it. So you want to add it not all the way at the end but toward the end of your cooking when you're using dehydrated meats. As far as using chicken jerky, turkey jerky, stuff like that. Never really cooked with it. I bet chicken jerky or turkey jerky would do a pretty decent chicken turkey soup with the vegetable mix. But I haven't tried that one. You're kind of on your own if you do. There is also another option, freeze-dried meats that have been repackaged. Um, you, often people say to me, well, if I open up, uh, I decide I'm going to do some food rotation of my long-term storage, I go grab that number 10 can of Mountain House, I open it up, and it's got freeze-dried uh, beef squares in it. The little squares of beef, I like making stews and stuff like that. Great for my vegetable soup base to make a beef stew, a beef soup, or you could stew it down and make a beef stew out of it. I mean, it's up to you what you do with it, right? But I don't want to eat the whole number 10 can of it. Well, there's nothing wrong with pulling out some, some of it, putting it into small vacuum sealed packs, toss a couple O2 absorbers in there. Uh, really a good ki- time where you might want to put the stuff in mylar, put the mylar inside the vac seal, uh, to help keep the light out. And, um, seal that up and then put that little meat packet as a separate pack with the soup or keep it all together separate and then it's your backup. Um, the minute you do it, the minute you, uh, you pull that stuff out of that number 10 can, you, know, you open the number 10 can, the guaranteed storage life is gone. But it's still a piece of freeze dried Uh, beef, and it's still going to last a long time, and if you put it back into a light-deprived, oxygen-deprived environment, it's still got immense storage life left in it, certainly a year, uh, unless you were already toward almost the end of your storage life. Anyway, it's probably still, remember, all these manufacturers cover their butts uh, with with expiration dates. There's items out there that practically never expire. They still put an expiration date on it. Because the day you go past the expiration date, their liability for anything goes away, including your own stupidity that you lie about. Yeah, well, the beans made me, the dried beans made me sick. I got listeria, and, you know, no one talks about the fact that you collected the water off a condenser on an air conditioner to try something. Uh And, and so the manufacturer, at least at some point, wants to cut their liability and say, okay, it's, you've had it long enough, it's not our fault. So remember, that's always the case with expiration dates. Uh, There's certain things you don't want to mess with at all with expiration dates. Milk, right? Eggs. You really got to be careful with those. Um, A dried bean. A dried bean, if it's still there, it's probably good. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a fundamental reality to that. So keep that in mind. But your your freeze-dried meats, your long-term storage meats can be repackaged into smaller components. I wouldn't bust open that big number 10 can just for this, but when you do bust it open to go ahead and use it and learn from it or whatever, if you take the leftovers and portion it out, that's a very good use of uh, the, the, the food. If you open it up in hard times, you're probably just gonna keep eating it until it's gone. That way you don't have multiple things open at the same time and you reduce your exposure. But in, you know, we call it in peacetime, and you're utilizing these products, that's a great way to extend their use. Then we enter the error uh, realm of what I call when all else fails, we turn to the homely soybean. Um, you can get textured vegetable protein as ham bits, as beef chunks, as chicken, what have you. It's okay. Uh, some people say, I can't tell the difference. If you can't tell the difference, I think you're from Mars or something, or somebody burned the frickin' taste buds, uh, off your tongue and the textural, uh, uh, uh what do you call it, uh, cells out of your mouth. I, I, I almost can't understand how anybody, goes, I didn't know it was textural. Well, I do. Um, but if you're gonna use it, like I said earlier, the rules with textured vegetable protein are to put them in toward the end of the cooking cycle and cook them long enough that they're fully rehydrated and, uh, and as good as they're gonna get. The longer you cook them, the more they will revert to what they are. soybean curd. That's what they are. They're tofu, flavored, pressed, shaped, colored tofu. Do you like tofu? That's fine. I'm not a big fan. I, you know, hot and sour soup they serve at some uh, Chinese places with little pieces of it in there. It's kind of good that way. Uh, other than that, you know you're not going to see a tofu turkey at Jack Spirico's house ever. So if I'm going to have to rely on this stuff, and sometimes I do. There's good places for it. It does have extremely long shelf life. uh, It's very stable and cooked certain ways. Like I said, textured vegetable protein that's like a hamburger crumble in the chili base I gave you, sucking up all that chili flavor, all that pepper flavor, all of that cumin flavor, it's actually pretty edible. It's not a substitute for meat. There is no such thing is any single vegetable item or anything other than an actual piece of flesh that has a full protein profile. And the the vegans out there that say, oh, I can get all the protein I need from rice and beans, you can get all the protein you need. Now, whether you get all the protein you really need, that's debatable. But it'll definitely keep you alive in a survival situation or for a few days on the trail. uh, Or there's nothing wrong with not eating meat every single day of your life. Uh, Pretty carnivorous, hard for me to do, but... This is one way that you can do it. But again, toward the end of the cooking, or you will regret it, because you're going to end up with curd instead of something that sort of approximates meat. Let's talk about a few other things that you can include uh, and, and take along with you and, and kind of round some things out and get some additional flavors and options. One is, uh, kind of going in the fruits and nuts and other stuff world, dried berries, raisins, etc., uh I like uh dehydrated cranberries uh those are awesome to make like a little bit of pan bread up with uh, they add some sweetness and some tartness and some variety to what you're eating out there uh they all mix well with things like uh sunflower seeds and nuts and and stuff like that to make your own trail mix obviously uh but they can there's a lot of things that you can do with them um for instance, if you wanted to sweeten something. You could take some raisins and dried cranberry and slowly stew them in some water till they're almost a syrup and Then something that you gathered from the wild that does that has maybe a bitter taste could be added into that some green herbs and things like that you might have to rely on have kind of a bitter sharp taste uh dandelion greens is a perfect example unless they're grown in deep shade and you harvest only the very young leaves there's a lot of bitterness there. And when you're cooking them for daily use, you can drain off a lot of the water, pull a lot of bitterness away, but that's nutrients in a survival situation that really would be better off inside of you. So when you add the tart tang of cranberry and the sweetness of a grape-based raisin, and you cook that together, you pull the bitterness way down. And there's a lot of other You have to experiment for yourself. Get out there and find the things that are safe to eat and edible in your region and start cooking them, but you'll find a lot of times fruits will bring a natural, you know, the natural fruit toast syrup or a sugar that's in them will bring a lot of harsh taste back into something that's a little bit more edible. Or if you're out there with kids, they're more likely to be willing to eat. Flour um, is a great product. It doesn't last twenty years or anything like that, no matter what you do with it. Once you grind wheat, you reduce its shelf life. But if you take some packets of flour and uh, I like to use a mixture of whole wheat and white mixed together. And people say the white doesn't store as long. I don't care. All right, it's flour. It's cheap. Uh, and you can take an awful lot of it with you uh, for very little weight, really, when you think about what happens to it when you add water to it and turn it into a bread or a cake or, or use it to thicken something. Um, but you, if you take it and you vacuum seal it and then you put the vacuum seal bag in anything that keeps the light out, a year is nothing and i don't care what anybody says uh if you start using like mixes like bisquick and stuff with other crap in it um your shelf life can go down it can turn rancid on you but if it's straight up wheat flour a year's nothing uh and you should use this stuff any of the stuff we're making you should use up before the year runs out make new stuff and replace it this is stuff to be used right because the five little packets of uh vegetable stuff that are in my uh in my pack if i get to a point where i'm like I need to replace them. They've been around a year. I can dump all five of them into a big pot together and make a big pot of vegetable soup at home. So there's no reason not to use this. This It's good to eat stuff. So it's not like the stuff we eat if we have to. We want to be using it, but we also want the convenience factor for the trail, the cost-saving factor, using our own things and teaching ourselves these skills as we go. Flour, year, vacuum-sealed, and add a light, no problem. That's if you buy it and do it right away. The longer, if it sits on the shelf for six months, I'll well, taking six months of life out of it. But with the flour, we can do a lot of things. We can, uh, we can basically mix the flour up. We talked about dried butter. A little bit of dried butter, a little bit of dried milk, a little bit of water, mix the flour up into a pasty dough. Cooking our, our, let's say we're cooking our vegetable base. We're doing it with wild game or beef or canned beef or whatever. We take a spoon or a stick. We take little scoops out of the flour at the end and or our, whatever we're cooking in. We drop those little drops of flour into the top. We cover whatever we're cooking with. We let them simmer through. We have dumplings. You know, we take this the flour into the paste. We mix in some of those cranberries, maybe some nuts, whatever else we're carrying. We put that into a little pan. We cook it with indirect heat, cover it over with some foil or, or whatever. Maybe we heat up a rock and we, we build a little oven uh At the side of the fire with some rocks, we put that in there, we bake that, we've got a cranberry nut bread. Much better than rice and black beans that they have the audacity to call chili out of a foil packet of Mountain House. Not that I won't occasionally eat it, not that I don't carry it too, but I know what my first choice is if I have the time to prepare things like that. Um, the next one is a lot of canned fish is really good, lightweight, high energy, high protein. If you look at sardines, packed in oil, they've got fat from the fish, they've got fat from the oil. They're relatively high calorie, relatively no carbohydrate, high protein source. Usually out in the in the wilderness, we can gather some carbohydrate. Gathering protein takes more energy, more effort and more luck, right? So We bring those things with us, and we have a good protein fat source, which is going to keep us running out in the woods. But let's look at some other things about them. One of the bad things, very, very heavy with odor. And the reason that's bad is they can attract critters, including if you're in bear country, bears, to your campsite, which means when you're done eating them, the cans need to be you know, a stream, a pond, a puddle, whatever, completely rinsed out. And that uh, you shouldn't leave them in the, in the woods. That's the wrong thing to do. But can we turn the disadvantage to an advantage? Since they have a lot of scent, a lot of smell, we have a little bit of oil and a little bit of skin that we have left over, what great bait for our deadfall traps. So now the sardines feed us one day, and a little bit that we spare and leave behind for bait feeds us the next day with wild-gathered uh, protein sources. So there's some value there. Other canned fish, though, has some interesting possibilities. Try this. You take the potato chowder base and get a little bitty can of canned shrimp, the little cocktail-sized ones, and a little can of, canned, uh, a little can of uh, clams. Put those, sauce, juice, and all, so it's like the clam juice, the, the shrimp juice, so you've got that stock. Put that right into uh, the uh, potato corn chowder. And do it right toward the end so that you just warm them through. They don't really need to cook that long. They've already been cooked like any canned meat. Uh, and I think you'll be really surprised. You want to thicken that up a little bit so it's a little bit thicker. Sprinkle a little bit of your flour in there and thicken it up. you got to do that really slow, and you've got to get it hot but not boiling when you're doing this. At home, you would want to take that flour and maybe mix it with butter. And if you have canned butter, you could do this, right? Uh Keith Snow talked about using butter and flour as a thickening agent. So if you have the, some powdered butter, some water, and a little thing to mix them, then you can mix your flour and your butter together to thicken with you could also take your flour and mix it with some water, and then pour it in slowly. That's that's a better way to do it. But there's lots of ways we can thicken. We, we if we were out there, we could take ground acorn, as long as we've leached out the tannin, and we could use that to thicken our uh, shrimp uh, clam chowder. You got to get creative. You got to try this stuff while you have the luxury of time. So if you ever do have to rely on it, not only can you survive, but you can thrive. I mean, there's nothing I've talked about eating today. That I have it eaten happily, not only out on the, uh, out in the trail, but at home. This is all great food. And then the last one, and one of the things you should never leave out of your survival rations, is pastas. Pastas have all the nutrition of wheat in a convenient, long-term, storable package. If you think about wheat flour, it does have a limit to how long it'll store. Pasta... Man, I don't even know if I've ever looked at any pasta, hard pasta, you know, not the, the soft stuff like uh, DiGiorno that you can buy in the, the freezer section, but totally that's the one. You can buy in the refrigerated section, but, you know, off-the-shelf dried pasta, man, that stuff lasts for damn near ever. Um, for your backpacking, think small mini pastas. There's a lot of mini pastas out there. Mini shells, mini penne, things like that. Somebody mentioned... Uh, Risotto, I guess they call it. The little, it almost like, looks like rice, but it's pasta. I'm not in love with that, but I can see the advantage. You can pack an awful lot of density into a small area, and it's not going to get crushed up on you. But I like a little bit more size to my pasta. Cut spaghetti, again, that I mentioned for the chicken soup. Very versatile. I mean, and then rice. You know, you want to make sure you pack some and separately. Even if you make kind of a recipe that includes rice, couple little packets of minute rice, white or brown or both. And, I mean, if nothing else, we can take some dehydrated beans, mix in some rice to make rice and beans, a little bit of chili powder, a little bit of cumin. That's pretty good trail food. And that doesn't even have to be all pre-mixed up. That could be a couple Ziploc bags with some O2 absorbers in them uh, with larger rations, and I just pull out what I need. Not all of this has to be completely kitted up. In fact, the best way to do it is some of your stuff in just kind of larger bulk packaging and some of it kitted up. That lets you be adjunctive. That lets you take advantage of the fact that last night, you know, you snared a marmot or you were able to shoot a raccoon or you were able to gather a few fish because now you have either something fully kitted up or just little bits of things that you can pull from. Couple of the things I really think will be worth your while, though, of getting in a pre-prepared fashion to use for this. One, the dehydrated beans, uh, from Harmony House. Uh, I haven't found another source of anything like this. They, if you compare them to dried beans, they seem a little bit expensive, but they're really not. Uh, they do about double in size when you, when you cook with them, and, uh, they definitely, like, way more than double in weight. Um, but they are so good, if you like to eat beans, and there's every variety you can think of, I would not use them for cooking large amounts of food with beans in it. I'm going to soak my dry beans and rehydrate them and cook them the way that they're, you know, like a big pot of chili. But I'll tell you what, my wife's not a big fan of beans. So if I'm cooking up some Anduli sausage on the grill, and I make a little bit of rice, and I want, you know, one portion of red beans to go with that rice, because she's not going to eat it, well, I take a couple handfuls of dehydrated red beans and a little bit of water and, and some seasoning, and bam, it's done. And it's better than opening up a can because I can completely control the portion size. Even a, a full can, maybe I don't want that much, and she's not going to eat any of them at all with that meal. So the portion control makes them a better value than the other ones are dehydrated onions and garlic. I cannot recommend them highly enough as well. Again, I'll put a link to Harmony House in the show notes. Um, It's such a pain in the ass, honestly, to cut up garlic to dehydrate. Onion's not as bad, but kind of a pain. You want them small. You want them so they're going to be tender, so they're going to cook in. And when you dehydrate them, you almost have to do it outside. And it leaves an odor in the dehydrator, even when you bring it back in. That's why my dehydrator is in the garage. I'm not allowed to bring it in the house because of the, the too much smell, according to my wife, even when it's something like potatoes or peppers or what have you. Um, but those three really make a lot of sense to get pre-prepared. The other one I want to mention again, I kind of mentioned it in passing, but at the end I want to mention the mention the lentil. Lentils are a great protein source, a good nutrition source, and they cook in about 10 minutes. They, you store as well as any dried bean product. But they don't require the long soaking or even, you know, the boil them and let them soak for an hour and then cook them later. Uh, You just throw them in with water and start cooking them. Harmony House also has those dehydrated. And those are kind of cool, too. They're cool for a thickener. So if you have, like, a soup you want to turn into a stew and you use a few tablespoons of the dried lentils, especially at the end because they don't need long, they'll bring more protein, more nutrition, more flavor. And... You can cook them a little bit longer than you normally would so they start to cook down a little bit and they bring a thickening to anything that you're making if you want something that's less of a thin soup so there you go I hope you enjoyed today 's show. I was excited about doing it if you couldn't tell because it was new and it was different and these are things i've been doing for a long time i'll try to put some more ideas together for you and this even to me seems like uh, the makings of a little ebook someday uh, you know making your own uh, f- making your own long term storable foods from from your preps or something like that, or just cooking with your preps. Maybe we'll look at putting something together like that at some point. But for now, that's been it. I hope you get out there and experiment with this stuff. The big thing with cooking is don't even stick to my recipes. Use them as a base, as a jumping off point. If two things seem like they'll be good together, take two small amounts of them together, put them together, and cook it. If it sucks, don't do it again. If it tastes good, keep doing it till you make it better. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough,
1: or even if they do Sometimes we forget We are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I could do It's the price we pay, I guess, and we a better way Yeah.